Hey everybody, Jason Ellis here, co-host of High and Dry the Podcast. This is not an episode of High and Dry the Podcast. This is something completely different to help promote my new book, Still Awesome. This is audio recordings from the first book where I tell Tully about my life and then Tully writes it down in the book. It makes it far more interesting and more understandable. Enjoy. Welcome to a special limited run podcast series. Is it? Yes. Jason and I have collaborated on a new autobiography called Still Awesome, The Trials and Tribulations of an Egotistical Maniac. Available for pre-sale now at jasonellisbook.com. I remember that. Still Awesome is the follow-up to the New York Times bestseller, I'm Awesome, one man's triumphant quest to become the sweetest dude ever. I was there for that too. To get you up to speed on where Jason's story picks up in Still Awesome, we present an exclusive look back at the never-before-heard interviews that went into making I'm Awesome. Yeah. Enjoy, and don't forget to pre-order your copy of Still Awesome at jasonellisbook.com. It's debatable, but you can get the book. We do need to figure out uh, uh, some test uh, book titles to run past these fools. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So, fuck, we should have bought that up today. Yeah. I, it just seemed like there was already so much stuff going on in the show. The couple, I do honestly think I'm Awesome is a sweet book title. I don't title. have a problem with that. I think it's great. And I think it'd be really funny in the future when you bring it up to people and they come in and talk about their book. You're like, I have a book. I'm like, really? What's it called? I'm Awesome. Right. I think that's great. And also I think because it's like the book is going to get fun, but not necessarily start in the funnest place. And I think it's with a title like that, you know it's coming around. You okay. know what I mean? Yeah. So I think that's cool. The other ideas I had, I mean, you could call it Ellis Mania. That's a thing, yeah. you know. Uh, you, As far as I can tell, nobody else has called their book A Cinderella Story, which is something that you say. So, I mean, it's I, I, I'm I'm partial to you. I'm awesome. Yeah, it sounds think, better than uh, so far, everything else. Mm-hmm. Anyway, um, <clears throat> I think where we left off, I'm still a, couple, uh, a day or two behind in transcribing stuff. I think where we left off would be where like Andrea comes in the picture. Okay. So how does that all work? Uh, well, Andrea was a friend of. Uh, I think she she knew a guy that uh, that skated for DC, and I'd actually met her before uh, at my best friend's house, Colin McKay's house, where she was there uh, on a date with Colin. So I'd met her before that. She she was with Colin that night. Like she didn't sleep with him, but they made out. Like I've always made fun of him about that shit, but I don't even. You know, I mean, this is back when I had the pug, and I don't even remember. You know, I was there, wasted, left. You know, I mean, that's the end of it. But then I met her later on at a bar, and I'd done a ridiculous. This is the when I would do the cocaine and just stand around the table. That phase where it was at the end, I was actually sort of complaining and being a bit of a party pooper to the rest of us while we were doing it. I would sort of be like, "Man, we're kind of." We're losing it, man. We're losing it. I don't know what the fuck I was talking about. And then we went down to the local bar, and my thing was to... Do, I remember, you know, bet to, very anxious to get there to start drinking my du- double vodka tonics to wear off the cocaine, to wear off the cocaine enough to fucking get out there and start talking to some chicks. Because it was, all, you know, it's, I, I was no longer doing it to be social. So then I got enough... Why were you doing it? I don't know, man. Just addicted by then. Just... Yeah, yeah. so anyway, I met her, and uh, I remember uh, coming up and saying, hey, how's it going, and put my arm around her, and I believe somebody had already told her at the bar that I was a fucking skateboard dickhead or something, so I had a little bit going for myself, but I was so shit-hammered 
But, you know, back then I could be shit hammered and still like, hold a conversation and maybe remember your name or something crazy like that. So then I tried to make out with her and she was like, what? Like, who, are, who is this dude? I just leaned in and tried to make out with her. Like, wasted, dude. So that didn't pl- fly. And then I just tried to talk to her and said I liked her. And then uh, she talked and I got her number, I think, or something like that. And then I tried to make her come home with me and she wouldn't which would have been someone else's house anyway. And then uh, I text her that she should come around to my friend's house and bring a cheeseburger because I'm fucking hungry. And then finally I go back to the, ca- the couch and smoke the mulbongs, which is the tobacco and weed com- combined, American spirit, so I give you the crazy head rush, crazy head rush and passed out because of all the sh- you know what I mean, because I'd been partying all day. And then I woke up in the morning with a cheeseburger on my back. So she came around and she... Because she found out where I lived, like the house I was staying at, through that other guy, and put a cheeseburger on my on my back. And then I called her and I said, "I know, you know, I know you like me because you sent me a cheeseburger." And then uh, we had a date where she came over to my house. Wait, do you think send a cheeseburger or brought it by? She brought it by and put it on my back. Okay, yeah, yeah. Uh, and then I was living at Cam Block's house because my ex wife had owned, I'd given her my house until I until I lost it and had to. She like if the whole tax thing ended, so nobody had a house at all. I just took a hundred and I think it was like almost two hundred thousand dollars in debt, like from that house. Fucking crazy. And then, uh, I, I took her to Kent. She came, Ken wasn't even there. I had a date with her at Ken's house. We, we made out in the jacuzzi. There's a jacuzzi, a massive rock jacuzzi with a waterfall overlooking the ocean and shit. Like Ken Block, the owner of DC, massive. The greatest house I'd ever been in in my entire life, and I had like margaritas and shit. And then, uh, and she wouldn't sleep with me for a, took took, a, took like a like a week of dates. And then, uh, did you guys like eat anything or? Yeah, we just hung out, ate food and stuff. Did you get it delivered or what? Nah, no, no, I never cooked anything. Yeah, delivered for sure. Yeah, yeah. I didn't cook. And just hung out, play video games, and we were just friends. You know what I mean? It was just, it was, and I told it from the start because of all the mistakes that I'd made in my life with women, and and really the low self esteem I had for myself in a relationship. By then, I was just so uh, bitter at myself. If you were in love with me and you were trying to have a relationship with me, I would have drove you fucking insane. Like I don't understand how Andrea stayed. I feel like Andrea has been has always been she's a lot smarter and a lot more uh you know i think that devon definitely kept us together a lot of times andrea wouldn't have taken that shit and she would have been long gone but i think and for me as well there was times where we've just stayed we've just stayed together because we have a child and it's just not fair to the child to just give up so we've done everything in our power to try and see therapists to work together to stay together so that the kids don't go through what I've gone through. Because I think Andrea knows firsthand now, or secondhand now, that what you mean, like a, a weird uh, weird parenting can do to a child. Because I think it's got a lot, I think the way my mom, you know, things were, made me a little bit crazy. So we were kind of dating. And then I was sleeping with some other girl, and we would have fights about it, you know, because she sort of became my friend. She sort of moved in, and I paid her car payment. You know what I mean? I wanted to take care of her. I told her not to go to school so much. And, you know, I really started to lean on her because that's how I am, you know? You told her not, go, not to go to school so much? Like, uh, you know I mean? Like, she, maybe she just she just lived with me. She didn't have to go to school. I'll just pay for it. <laughs> what uh, video games were you guys playing? You remember? 
Moto. Moto games. I mean, she played Moto games with me. She would play... I would play games, and she would watch me and cheer me on. Like, she would talk about how fast I was going on the game or whatever. And one time she beat me, like, because she would just practice as much as I did. You know, we were just really good friends. My, she had my phone with someone, and my, somebody had texted me from when I was on tour or whatever. From I hadn't actually met her, but I'd had, like, text sex with her, mm. and it was all up on there. She saw it all. And I remember when she saw it all, and we got in the car, and she fucking, right when she went to, right when she yelled at me, I fucking flinched and, and, like, hid my head. And she's like, what are you doing? And I'm like, I don't know, because I was just used to, the, the last time I got busted doing anything, hell fire fucking let set fire on my face so I, and she, she's like I would never hit you no matter what you do and I remember thinking you would never hit me no matter what you do you're still considering fucking talking to me you know what I mean like thinking that like at this point in the game in the first five minutes you're still thinking that we're gonna stay together like I'm thinking not only are we fucking never talking to each other again you're gonna call your dad and have me stabbed or something yeah so but I remember thinking, you know, I'm being, I'm, I'm, I'm really out of line on somebody who is just a saint and is never, is never ever going to come back and retaliate with, uh, you know, lose its cool and 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 be this violent, insane person that I'm used to. I'm just used to every relationship I ever had that was serious when it got rocky they would like lash out and either hit me or say things about me to other people that were beyond low blows of just like what the fuck i would never do that to you like what what's it for instance well there was you know the the penthouse chick said some shit about uh my mum to people and then said some shit about me being gay and stuff because mm-hmm. I'd had uh, the molestation thing come up and then I found out that my grandfather was a cross-dresser and, you know, I'd had times where I'd been drinking and saying that, you know, I don't know if I'm gay or not, I don't know who I am and and her just working on that. Yeah, 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 gotcha. You know gotcha. I mean? And I, as I'd said before on the radio, I've had gay encounters before in my life and, you know, I mean, when I was younger... I thought maybe I was gay. Because mm-hmm. why else would you do that? You know I mean, I, I was raised in a world where if things like that happened to you, you were a fucking fag. Right. So I just secretly just dealt with it. But there was a time there where I was like, it was a very hard skin to live in. Yeah. I didn't like myself, you know, and, and I felt like at one point I'd just given up. Maybe I was. Maybe I was gay. I didn't really even care anymore about... I just thought I was, like, scummy. Just a scum dude. I think that's what helped get into heroin. Because I just didn't care anymore about me, anyway. I just thought I was disgusting. I had that opinion of myself. Mm -hmm. Whenever I would think of myself, I'd be like... You know what I mean? Like, just be high, man. Don't analyze yourself. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Which makes it worse because then when you yeah. do sober oh, yeah. up, you know, yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, oh, yeah you th- wake up with way more disgust, yeah. right? Not to mention what I was doing when I was high, right? You know what I mean? Like the yeah. whole sagas of waking up with one sock on. I told you that's happened to me twice, and I don't remember what happened beforehand. 
but I think it's on purpose, you know? What do you mean? Just things where I've just done bad stuff, you know? I think, like, there's... What would a sock have to do? I don't know why. I just always thought... I saw one dude one time, an older pro skateboarder came to the ramp, and he had one sock on, and he fucking smelled like shit. And he was... And he didn't know what had happened, and I was like... it just He just looked like he'd been in jail. I remember just thinking that, because I'd been in jail a couple of times, and I was like, he's just got that in jail thing about him. So whenever that happened to me in Czechoslovakia where I drank the absence and got the the Czech chick to get me coke and then when I snorted it burnt my brain and then I realized it wasn't coke and it was speed and then I was up and then she didn't want to fuck me and so then I was just with this fucking crazy Czech chick with speed and absence that I was freaking out of my mind that I left and then all of a sudden I drank a lot of it and all of a sudden I was just in places and then I was gone and then I'd be in another place. So all of a sudden I'm in a place where I'm in a club and I've got a lot of girls around me and they all like me. And I'm like, holy shit. And then after them all agreeing to take me somewhere to have sex with me, I realize that I'm in a whorehouse where you can just get tons of chicks to fuck you. And then I'm gone. And then I'm walking down a cobblestone uh, alleyway in fucking Czech Republic with one sock on and a fu- you know, in a pair of pants and a t-shirt and I'm like what the fuck what, what is that and just not you know, I mean and the feeling of like I'm fucking I've almost shut myself off here like my body doesn't even want to fucking move that whole dry throat thing like I remember I could barely drink water and shit I was trashed that happened to me on Sunset too. One time I just one sock on and a half a drank a six pack of Mark's Mike's Hard Lemonade on Sunset with a fucking rocker wear shirt on, just like fucking. And then like just walking, and then a little bit more. Wait a minute, is it illegal to drink on the street in America? What the fuck? And then, like, you know what I mean? Like, and then slowly it, get like, oh, I have a hotel room. I have a hotel room. Where's the hotel room? And then just that whole, I just assume the worst if I don't remember it. Yeah. 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 Exactly. I mean, yeah. No, I mean, I've, only, I've been way. <coughs> and I do think that it's like, you know what I mean? It could have been gay shit. Because mm-hmm. that's where, that's what would be the worst for me. Like, I don't think I was a, I don't think I'm a murderer, you know? Right. But I do think I'm like a, a, closet gay guy like just think that happens yeah like uh when i look at it now I, it's almost a, like that's probably the only regret i have the you know, I, I i made a lot of decisions a lot of like i kind of backed out of a lot of stuff worried about that worried about potentially being that way or 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 I, I, I just worried about it a lot of people thinking that I was. I remember mm-hmm. people, I worried if somebody thought I was gay. I'm like, the, like now I'm like, oh my God, what a fucking amazing waste of energy right there. You fucking idiot. You are listening to selections from the behind the scenes making of interviews for I'm Awesome, one man's triumphant quest to become the sweetest dude ever. It almost worked. Pre-order the follow-up, still awesome, at jasonellisbook.com. I think, you know, at first Andrew was a little girl when she was with me and she thought that she could hook this guy that put, had potential. I think a lot of girls look at it like that. It had potential and this is rough edges then. Like this is, 
I guess I'd been worse back when I was younger, but for that age and for things that were about to happen, it was a rocky road for her. You know what I mean? Like being married to me, falling in love with me was just, okay, there's a drug addict there. You know what I mean? Like get him off the cocaine. Okay, now he's got a massive drinking problem. Like let's try to get that off. Oh, his father died. Oh, I'm pregnant. You know what I mean? Like, wait a minute. You're saying that you're not that good of a skateboarder anymore and that your agent didn't pay your taxes for five years and that the house we live in is no longer ours and you owe $200,000 and you're you're still drinking your fucking self to death. Like the red wine. That was the red wine phase. It was just, I was just numbing myself. Like painkillers, red wine and weed. Just that was, I remember just the sedation time. Just, I was really fat then too. Like for me, like I would just get the munchies crazy at night. To the point where I would secretly feel bad for it. I remember getting ice cream bars and eating them in my bathroom so that Andrea didn't see me. Not that Andrea would have said anything about my, but I'd already like started to frown upon what my my habits had been become personally. Like just thinking, I'm thinking, fuck, I'm just fat and blobbing out. How old were you and how old were was she when you guys met? Thirty. Wait. Yeah, thirty-one. Thirty. We've been dating for fucking eight years. Okay. We're the longest. This is the longest relationship I've ever been in. Uh-huh. And it makes sense. It's six years. Six years, I can't take it anymore. It wasn't going to work, and I knew it, but I just fucking stayed because I'm terrified of fucking breaking up with somebody until the until the breaking point comes. It's six years, and that's when I say, I can't fucking do it anymore. Mm-hmm. And Andrea, at six years, Devin, and Devin changed everything. Devin was like, I, you know, I mean, I, I wanted to break up with Andrea a million times. And I'm sure Andrea wanted to break up with me a million times, but for the sake of Devin's life, you know, I mean, we just we just kept going, and like I see what she, I mean, she was right. Everything she was into was right. Everything I was into was, you know, I I didn't see it at the time, but I mean, I was just into trying to fill the void in a vicious cycle of doing stuff that was going to make me feel bad about myself in the morning. That's what my thing was, like the instant gratification guy, and then total regret until the next one cycle so I think she saw that even at that young age she saw that and was like yeah he's gotta try to intercept that how old is she when you guys meet 20 when I first met her really yeah. just fully 10 years between you guys yeah okay um, yeah she had a fake ID in the bar <laughs> awesome yeah. uh, uh, so uh, how does uh, how does Devin come into the picture uh, well, you know, we were having unprotected sex and there was a time there where I even told my dad that I was like, yeah, I think we might have a baby. Not even having any idea what the fuck I was saying. Like, you idiot. But I did also know that I was a very serious person when it came to babies. And if a baby did come, I always had the respect for myself to believe in myself that I would immediately fucking sober up and become an excellent father. I always thought that about myself. I take fatherhood as a very serious job and I'd weird i even back in my i mean if somebody had to go pregnant and said hey well maybe back then i would have said well hey you can have all my money i'm gonna be like be shit-faced but mm-hmm. i you know i gotta really I, that was uh but matt you know this is this is a it's, it's, it's a blur it was a massive thing i'm having a baby to you know andrew was pregnant when dad died so it was all this Weird stuff. You know, this that was the beginning of it all. That whole that just that one that whole thing changed everything in my life. You know what I mean? It just it altered the way I look at everything. 
for the better too. That the hardest thing was to accept that I'm a better man for these things that had hap- that had happened, because it feels disrespectful to my father and my brother to feel any ounce of joy now that they're gone. You know what I mean? It was a weird. I couldn't get my head around it. So what's the actual chronology? So you guys, like the the, the series of events, you um, we found out Andrew's pregnant. Do you have anything significant about finding that out? Um, I remember Andrea saying, I'm pregnant, and me saying, well, uh, we know we've got money, and you mean, I'll be there for you, but you know as well as I do that you're going to, you know, I mean, you'll, you'll be doing the parenting and this thing, and I pretty much lean to don't you know we don't expect this to be like some sort of Cinderella story you know I mean we get a fucking picket fence house and we all drift fly away to the sunset it was not gonna wasn't gonna I remember explaining to her on the phone that it was I'll do the best I can uh with things that I have to offer because I don't you know at that point I don't remember having enough I, I really I kind of explained that I wouldn't be around that much I think I was sort of explaining and then thinking about it more and I, I don't know, just, it just, uh, you know, I just, I just made myself <coughs> be her, be, be there for her. You know what I mean? It wasn't really, it's not, it wasn't love at first sight with me and Andrew. You know, you know what I mean? It wasn't like some, cause it's never been love at first sight for me. It's just been lust. I just, Oh, you're hard. I'm in love with you. Let's fucking date and be very serious for the rest of our lives. Nobody look at her. So it was a different thing for me. It was like I'm I'm gonna. I didn't think that I was gonna be with Andrea for the rest of my life when that happened. I just was like I'm now. I'm gonna take care of this kid for the rest of my life. And I thought Andrea is the most together girl that I've ever dated. So that when we break up, she won't tell Devin that Daddy's a fucking asshole and a whore and a drug addict. I, you know what I mean? She would keep that because I know my mum wouldn't do that. My mum told me, my, you know, my dad's this and he's a dad and he's, you know, what I mean? he drives fast with you in the car just goes to show how your responsibility is. I know that I thought at the time Andrea would not be that person. I remember thinking that, you know, at least she won't talk shit on me. And then being friends with the parents and making a, an effort to sober up again. And then, and uh, you know, so I'd slowed down, and actually, New Year's was New Year's night where I was just I not drinking, just me and Andrea at home, and I'd smoke a little bit of weed, and then uh, fucking some I don't know who the fuck called me, Carl or somebody fucking texted me, you better call your dad or something, I mean you better call home, and then talking to. To Lee on the phone, fucking, and him telling me, Dad's gone. I'm like, what do you fucking mean? He's like, he's gone. I mean, he's crying. I've never really seen Lee cry. And I was just like, I don't, that makes no fucking sense at all. And then some, I think it was Martin or somebody just saying it clearly to me, and he's died of a heart attack, pedaling up a up Tangel in the morning. I'm like, he's, 
he's dead or he's not dead. Like, he fucking spit it out. You know what I mean? Like, I don't understand what you're all saying. It just didn't make any sense. And then giving the phone to Andrea, and that was the beginning of my heart fucking jumping out of my chest. I just thought I was... Just, you know what I mean? I started having a... I invented a panic attack right there and then for the first time, not even knowing what it was. Just holding my heart. I was like, I don't understand what, what's going on. And then going back to Australia and seeing him in the casket and not seeing him before. You know what I mean? I didn't... We didn't talk much. I didn't talk to him for New Year's. You know, he left a message on the phone and I just had all these regrets not seeing him, not being around, thinking all about me going to America and trying to be a pro skateboarder. And now I've missed out on uh, my father. And, you know, if I had been around, maybe I could have stopped it. Maybe I could have helped him. Maybe I could have been there to be like, you can't even, you don't even fucking do cardio ever. What are you thinking getting up in the morning doing that? Like maybe I would have been up at the same time and just said, don't do it. Did he own a bike? Huh? Did he own the bike? No, it was Lee's bike. And he pedaled, Lee, you know, I mean, Lee's training for fucking motocross. And he pedaled up this mountain and said, it's the hardest thing you ever did in his life. And Lee is a top 10 motocross guy in Australia who runs and pedals every day. He gets up and runs for fucking six miles every day. And my dad has never run anywhere. He rides moto and chainsaws shit and... But he's never jogged. He doesn't go to the fucking gym. Like, he's got a dumbbell in the backyard. Sometimes we'll have a weightlifting contest. Like, he was just naturally a big dude. Smoked cigarettes? No, never smoked. Drank, like, a lot. But drinking that, drinking there. I remember drinking one more time there with some friends, and I left. You know what I mean? All the guys, like, yeah, you'll be all right. You know, the Ellis's were good. And, you know, I sit at the Ellis Brothers and... I feel like Dad had done so many things to to people and lived a life of such uh, danger that he was just such a tough dude that it wasn't... Nobody really saw it as sad, I think. But I've, I don't know. I felt like, to me, it was it hit me harder than everybody else, you know? Which was weird because they knew... You know what I mean, except Stevie. I think me and Stevie bonded more because I think it was hard for me and Stevie the most. I think Dad had been through so many things with Lee and Lee's wife, and and being disrespectful to his to his wife, and uh, there was some. I'm not saying that anybody didn't love anybody. I'm just saying there was a. I think I saw Dad as a as a, a higher than and then everybody else did. You know what I mean? I'd still I still looked up to him at that point. You know, I had my problems with him, but I still idolized him. It was a it was a massive fucking shock. And it just changed everything. It just shake it shook everything. I remember just not being um not thinking anything was ever gonna be okay again. You know, and and then you know, Devin, red hair. It was just always sad. You know what I mean? Everything was just always sad. It was always just a reminder that he wasn't gonna be around anymore. Dad had red hair. Yeah. How old was he? Did you say he was like right about to turn 50? 52. Okay. 53rd birthday was the next day. 
We hope you are enjoying this look back at the making of the New York Times bestseller, I'm Awesome. And don't forget, there is plenty more exciting stuff up our sleeves for the follow-up. Still awesome. Available for pre-order now at jasonellisbook.com. We won't stop. We're like that hip-hop band. Yeah, I just, it was just, it was, uh, it's weird because I don't, I just move on. You know what I mean? That's one thing I can say. I learn about myself is I just did it. You know what I mean? I just, we lost the money and we owed money and I lost my job and I didn't really have any money from skateboarding and I knew that I wasn't going to be able to, to stay on it. I just didn't have the desire to want to stay on it. You know what I mean? The, I'd finally sort of come to this point where there was a there was a, a fear a, that was rationalizing not committing to stuff and i was like it's just gone that desire to i mean it was the skateboarding was at a level where for a vert dude it was you know i mean you're going to get knocked out once or twice a year doing what i was doing because that's what i was good at i was good at big shit so all the tricks that i had that were coming up that I knew that if I, that I had to do in contest rides, if I'm doing those fucking 16 times a year, I'm fucking going to hospital like four times. I, might, you know I mean, there's no way I'm making it through the fucking season. And I just couldn't, I wouldn't even admit it. I probably still haven't admitted it. I was too scared. I'm too, I'm too scared to skate anymore. I'm too scared to be on a mega ramp. I'm too scared to compete with those dudes. I'm scared of it. But you, But you did it. Yeah, but then I got scared of it. I got scared. I got something, you know, that that big Indy 540 where I've got that hematoma on my leg, and my legs didn't move for a long time. And Jake was kind of tearing up and stuff. Just started to get him. Started to get at me. You know what I mean? And, and me not uh, skating as much, I lost my com- my confidence. You know what I mean? I just felt like uh, to go for it was a certain death. You know, I was like, I'm gonna go for it, and maybe the crowd will cheer, but I'm gonna make, I'm not gonna make this. I'm just gonna fucking, you know, break my legs or get knocked down, maybe die. You know, Matt Hoffman had taken a lot of fucking beatings around then, and had permanent brain damage, and we just got the, I just got, it just happened. It just, I just lost it. I just became uh, a poser. I was never committed to landing anything anymore. So, talk me through that when you got the hematoma, that that actual ride. <laughs> yeah, well, that was right when we were all, you know, I mean, the only one mega ramp, Point X, and uh, we were all skating, and really, I was kind of up there. It was weird, because I'd done all the announcing shit and the virtues. I probably wasn't, I could probably hang top 10, but really not that good anymore. Not as good as I used to be, no way. And then uh, the mega ramp, and me going there as much as I could, I think I might have lived in LA still, you know, but maybe, and I was driving down, no, nah, it was before I moved to LA. It was it was make or break time. I was really going for it, and I'd done a couple of tricks there that uh, nobody had even done. Like, I think the only person that had done a frontside three hundred and sixty was Danny, and maybe maybe Bob or Jake, but they'd only done frontside three hundred and sixties. And I did a tail grab three hundred and sixty, frontside tail grab three hundred and sixty, which was pretty big. And I and I kind of had them down. I was kind of hanging. I was doing frontside tail grab three hundred and sixties. Into kickflip indies on the quarter pipe, which was, you know, I mean, there was probably only ten of us that could do it, that could jump that thing. So that was like a banger. I was like top five, and then uh, I learned indie five, indie three sixty over the gap, and I was trying them. And the first one that I made over the gap, I remember Bob was there and Jakey and I think Bucky. I'm not sure, but I uh, 
Indy 360, and I was a little off balance, but I was like, I'm making this one no matter what. And I let I remember letting go early and just spinning around without my hands on the board. And I was like, wow, I could probably next I could probably do it without even grabbing. You know, I mean, I had really good control. And I landed, and I thought I'll just do it because I did an Indy 360. I should only natural to do an Indy 540, and I'd never even tried one on Mega Ramp before. And when I do Indy 540s, I flip. I don't spin. I just go. I just dip my head like that. So I just go straight into a looks like a front flip kind of. So I'm exactly upside down at one point. <clears throat> so I flip upside down and I look over my shoulder and right as I grab my board, I know that I'm way, I'm way over the deck. I can't see it, but you just sense it. I just know. And as soon as I grab my board, I was like, <gasps> and it was, you know, probably about maybe 16 feet above the coping. And I went, fuck. And I remember kicking my board away from me and start, look, I was turning around and started to try and, uh, I stopped my spin from the panic to get out. You know what I mean? I wasn't going to wait to get around. I wait to get around and land on the coping on my between my legs, like because I knew it was around. It was around. It's the the coping's going to be at my feet. And Brian Patch has landed on his feet on the mega ramp, and he got a spiral fracture up his foot, up his leg, and didn't skate for like a year and a half. Like landing more or less in a standing position. On the standing position yeah, from yeah, yeah. sixteen feet right. onto a steel pipe, it shattered every, whatever it landed. Yeah. So, but I'm upside down. I'm not getting anywhere near my feet. And I'm just getting around enough to see that because Mega Ramp has like more time, so it fucks with you. It's like if you have a car crash, you don't see it coming. It's like not so bad, but if you have like two seconds to know, because I've done it so many. You know, I was so high, but I still know. Like I've done this slam before, but I've never done this slam before at 16 feet. I've done it before at like uh, eight feet, and and it almost broke my fucking back. So I'm thinking this could be it, you know. And I'm like, wham! And I hit my hip. And I remember just like, wham! It's so hard. And I, I remember just thinking, I'm on autopilot, almost shock. And then it bounced me out even more. And my feet started to go over my head. I remember making the decision to tuck and hold onto my knees to go around again. Because otherwise I'm going to land on my face and snap my neck like Scorpion from... Because the ramp's like 18 feet high. So now I'm going to land, drop 18 feet to my chin. So I tuck over and then land on my back like fucking bam, you know what I mean? And I'm just like, nothing moves. It like paralyzed my legs. Like I couldn't move my legs and I couldn't feel them. And I was like, I can't move my legs. I was like, fuck, I broke my fucking back. I don't even know how that works. How you can not break your, I didn't, I didn't hit my back. I hit my hip. And then, you know, I remember Jakey looking sad and I was like, fuck off. And then I started to feel it and we're, we were joking about it. But you know what I mean? The, I mean, like, I still have a piece of my ass missing. Like, it was such a hit to my body. Like, I, f- I really feel like I'm a, I have a really strong frame. I feel like I truly believe that if a car hit me versus a car hit you, my bones don't break. I feel like I have really thick bones. I don't think it's, like, a tough... It's a muscle thing. I think I'm a really dense person. I think that's just the way I'm built. That's, like, a thing that I might have going for me. Like, if a car hit me, I wouldn't be as hurt as you. That's the only, you know what I mean? So that hit, I remember that hit was such a, it ragdolled me so hard that I was, I was, I was like, I'm, I'm, uh, I'm in an, I'm in a zone here where, you know, I mean, if that wasn't my hip, if it was a little lower, a little higher, it would have ripped something off. You know I mean, like it was like a death hit. It reminded me of that speed of like a really fast dirt bike crash where I'm like, I'm gonna fucking die. You know what I mean? I'm, I'm popping organs. Like I've hit stuff before. It's like, <laughs> I'm like, ah. 
Okay, you know, in a hospital, I'm fucking intestines or bleeding or some stupid shit. That speed. And then it freaked me. I was like, I don't want to fucking die, you know? And then my confidence was just shot, and I never really... After that, I never really committed to any big bangers. Um, at one point, you said that all you ever wanted to have was a ride like that one that Gregor had in America. Yeah. Does the loop qualify as that, or is there something else that would qualify as that? No. Nah, no, nah, the loop was... Yeah, but the loop was a little bit more... By then, I was a little bit more spoiled, I think, with a... That was more of a... Uh, to do a trick was a you know the con- a contest was a uh, a way a way bigger deal to me. Being, I'm, a, I'm way more of a competitor than a than a stunt guy. I just I really wanted to win a, a, a pro contest, and I never did. You never did? No. What's the closest you get? Third. How's yeah, that, I won. I won a ramp ride and stuff, which is pro contest, but it's not like there. You know, Birdman wasn't there, you know. So, gotcha. I never got that. And that irks me. Like in that one, I still I, I still feel like all the things that I didn't achieve in skateboarding that I I believe were just fucking handed to me at one point. Not handed to me, but I feel like the, the amount of work that I'd put in at one point, if I had to just fucking stayed sober for one year and just you know what I mean and not broken anything, I would have won a fucking contest. Well, at least one of them of that year, you know. But I I never I never did, and I feel like all that. Uh, fueled me f- when this opportunity came to the point of it, it, really stupidity. Once again, I became so stubborn that I actually believed that from the start that I was going to be the next big radio guy and be a, a massive millionaire and and it was all going to, you know what I mean? But, but just that's an amazing bullshit bubble that I've fucking put in my brain to keep me taking shit from Will Pendarvis and staying here because i was like one day you will see mark my words you will see you know right living in a fucking fantasy world that is it for this week's look back at the making of the new york times bestselling i'm awesome thanks for listening and don't forget to order the follow-up still awesome at jasonellisbook.com thank you all right everybody i hope you enjoyed that plenty more where that came from don't leave us because there's plenty more high and dry podcasts to come Thanks, everybody, for tuning in.